long ago in a galaxy far, far away, there exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Lucasfilm presents Star Wars, the greatest space fantasy of all. The Comic Book Time Machine presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics, exploring Marvel's licensed sci-fi and fantasy during the Star Wars period. Episode 94, Crucible, Star Wars issue number 17, cover date November 1978. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Marvel's Cosmic Comics, a presentation of the comic book Time Machine. And this time we are taking the Time Machine back to 1978 once more. We will be going back to August of 1978. And why are we going back to August of 1978? Because that's when the November cover date issues hit the stands. And we want to make sure we hit the stands in time. We don't want to wait until September or October where it's possible that those issues are not on the stand anymore because people bought them. Although I guess if we have a time machine and we go back to the wrong place where there's no copies left we could just go back in time a little bit to before the last issues were purchased but that's neither here nor there that's just taking issue with how i use time travel and you know what here's the way time travel works it works the way the story needs it to work i mean if you watch a time travel movie or read a time travel book or read a time travel comic book or watch a time travel tv show the rules of time travel work the way it needs to work. Maybe it changes the future. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe you change the future into what the future would actually be the way we know it from some sort of other weird other future. It doesn't matter. What we are doing right now is we're just going back in time to buy some comics to read them. And the comics we are buying are from Marvel. They are all licensed. None of these comics are Marvel superhero characters, although some of them are superheroes. Some of them take place in the Marvel Universe and have superhero characters as guest stars or as, um, you know, even regular um, supporting cast, as in the case with with Godzilla, where I guess you wouldn't call Dum Dum Dugan and Gabe uh, superheroes, but they're from the Marvel superhero universe. But... These are licensed by Marvel from other sources. In the case of Godzilla, which is another comic that we're going to be reading in this cycle, the November 1978 cover date cycle, it's a movie series. In the case of John Carter, Warlord of Mars, it's a book series. In the case of The Human Fly, it's a real-life stuntman. And in the case of Star Wars, well, if you don't know what Star Wars is and you're listening to this podcast, I... I hope that I don't use too much language that you don't understand, but I shouldn't. I mean, you should be able to follow along. You should be able to follow along, but we'll, we'll see. 
Anyway, uh, November 1978 was the cover date, and there's not a lot going on here as far as the licensing of comics go. I am waiting patiently for some of the other things that I'm very excited about as far as new titles that are coming, but I also have to say the books I'm going to be talking about in this November 1978 cycle of the November cover date, I'm excited about them. Um, there's not a lot, but Godzilla, we have some Western stuff that was going on. John Carter, Warlord of Mars, we have the Chris Claremont run happening right now. Star Wars features actually the Star Wars cast. Last issue of Star Wars, issue 16, didn't, except for like in one page. And then you have the Human Fly, which, well, it's, it is what it is. So let's let's start our, our first segment here. We always start with Star Wars. That's where we're going to start with this one. And then we will make our way through the month issue by issue. And I, I'm not sure what I'm going to do next, but I'll by the time this episode has been recorded, when I get to the closing moments, I'll know if I'm going to go to Godzilla or Human Fly next, because I always start with Star Wars and usually end with John Carter, Warlord of Mars. So. Star Wars number 17 coming up right about now. Playing that sounder. The cover of Star Wars issue number 17 says Adventures Beyond the Greatest Space Fantasy Film of All. Although I don't know if I would say that this goes beyond that film, but we'll get to it. It says, Special Issue, an untold tale of Luke Skywalker's past crucible. And it has a picture of Luke Skywalker. There's some skyhoppers flying in the sky behind him. There's two suns in the sky. There's a crashed land speeder. There's some Jawas who are getting ready to, <laughs> to uh, loot the land speeder and, and take the pieces. And then there's a handful of Tusken Raiders or sand people who are pointing at Luke Skywalker and shaking their staffs. And that's our cover. It's actually a pretty exciting cover. And you know what else is exciting is that um, it's by uh, Dave Cockrum and Bob McCloud. Dave Cockrum, the penciler, the Bob McCloud, the inker. And it's it's a nice cover, and, and I, I like it. I like it a lot. This is one that, um, if it was available as some sort of wall art, I would consider it very, very carefully and probably would not be able to help myself. I would probably just go ahead and purchase it. Um, I, I have a handful of things. I don't have any place to put them, but I do have a handful of wall art uh, from comic book cover artwork. And if I had a place to put it, it'd be up on the wall right now. Right now, it's instead under my desk in a place... I just had an idea where I could put it. I, I'm not going to worry about that right now. I'm going to podcast right now. So let's talk about this issue then. Uh, let's let's talk about what's going on here. Last issue, we had a bounty hunter guy, and he messed around with Han Solo's old friends from Han Solo's Magnificent Seven Days. And that includes, like, Jackson the Space Rabbit. And that's basically, we spent all of our time with him. Not a bad story, but Han, Leia, Luke, Chewie, the droids, nowhere to be found. Now, the team was last seen in action in issue number 15, where they dealt with Red Jack the Pirate, and they escaped in the Millennium Falcon. And the last panel of that issue, I had to go back and check just to make sure um, and see, but the last issue, or last panel of that issue, had them flying away in the Millennium Falcon to head home on their long trip. 
This issue, issue 17, opens with Luke in a splash page. He is taking one of the shifts. Uh, he is in on the bridge of the Millennium Falcon, and he's, he's flying. He's making sure that all is well. And the captions tell us that he's smiling. The art doesn't, but as he's sitting there, uh, bored, his mind takes him back. Back. Back to a flashback to Tatooine. And he remembers. He remembers the past. He remembers targeting womp rats in his land speeder and killing one. One handed with his rifle in not a skyhopper, but a land speeder. And now that womp rat will no longer eat any more vaporator cables, and he'll also get a bounty for it. He remembers, or at least extrapolates in his memory, that Tusken Raiders were watching and waiting. He remembers fighting with his uncle about chores and about his friends. Biggs is going to have a going away party the next day, and Luke wants to go. And not only does Luke want to go, he looks up to Biggs, but uncles just don't understand, but aunts do. And she convinces Owen to let Luke go. He remembers dreaming about being out there in space. A space hero. A commander leading others into combat. Leading others into victory. And winning the kiss of a damsel who is no longer in distress. He remembers going to Beggar's Canyon for Biggs's farewell celebration. And any adult on Tatooine will tell you to avoid this twisting, mile-deep testament to the power of erosion. And any teenager will tell you it's the only place on a dull backwater planet to find a few thrills. He remembers the dangerous race through the canyon, passing his friends as they drop out one by one until it's just Luke and Biggs, the best pilots there are, with Biggs barely in the lead before Luke can make his move. Biggs breaks with his thrusters, and Luke is forced to pull up and lose ground and lose the race. He remembers a land speeder crashing near the party, a land speeder holding a militia scout who brings a warning of Tusken Raiders who are out for vengeance because someone accidentally polluted one of their sacred wells. And then... That someone is revealed to be weapon smugglers, and those weapons are now in the hands of the Tusken Raiders, and they are on their way, going to take out farm by farm. He remembers being attacked and under fire, making a break for one of the skyhoppers, but being cut off by one of the raiders who throws his staff, strikes Biggs, and gets shot by Luke because of it. Biggs is wounded, possibly by sandbat venom on the tip of the staff, so Luke must be the one who flies. He remembers flying low to avoid the fire of the raiders and having to fly through the mountains instead of over them. But that also means flying through Diablo Cut, something no one has ever done. But farms are in danger, including Luke's. And friends are in danger as the poison works its way through Biggs's system. He remembers zigging and zagging and finally coming out into the clear only to come under fire by the sand people and crashing the skyhopper. He remembers carrying Biggs to his uncle, who still doesn't quite understand. <laughs> and he tells his uncle to have Aunt Baru make the call to let people know what's going on. He remembers after Biggs is cared for and after the Tusken Raider situation, 
has been concluded. How he reached in somewhere deep to make it through and did the impossible. And that, quote, it was almost like some kind of test. And whatever else comes out of today, I feel like I passed it. He remembers the events of the first Star Wars movie once more in a single page. And then Han Solo breaks him out of his reverie and Luke is very, very happy where he is now. So here's my thoughts. We had Archie Goodwin. He's the writer-editor. You have Chris Claremont, who was the plot. Herb Trimpey, Al Milgram did the art. Herb Trimpey, yay! Rick Parker was the letterer, Mary Severin was the colorist, and Jim Shooter was the consulting editor. And issue 17 of Star Wars is a fill-in issue. Clearly a fill-in issue, but not a bad one, I don't think. We'll, we'll talk more about it at the end, but... Um, here's, here's some random thoughts. The Vaporator. Um, that's something that, uh, I mean, everything that happens in here was referenced in the Star Wars movie. Very easily referenced in the Star Wars movie. The Vaporator, I mean, they were on a moisture farm. And this is a situation of science fiction becoming science fact. Uh, recently on Facebook, I saw some people were trying to raise money for these cheap machines to go into places where there, where people do not have access to water or have do not have access to clean water. And these are machines that totally remind me of the moisture collectors. They draw moisture from the air. Uh, they, well, they draw air uh, down into this reservoir underground. And then the moisture from the air... Uh, condenses on the sides of this thing and then collect in this reservoir and it becomes a sustainable source of water for people without clean water and i saw this video and i'm watching it and i'm just thinking to myself that that that's star wars that's luke's family that's what they did they farmed moisture and i don't know if this is a thing that's actually in production right now or if this is a thing that they're trying to raise money for uh you know before they can do any kind of um like actual product creation but it's meant to be a very cheap and easy source for water uh, in places where it's just, you know, they have, people have to walk for miles to get to the water hole and then it's not even clean water. It's a safer place, a safer way for them to get the water and an easier way for them to get the water. And they can focus their time on more other important things. I don't know if they're more important, but um, it's a wonderful, wonderful product. And I, I just watching uh, this video, I'm just thinking, wow, they... They made it a reality. Uh, another thought, um, the bounty for the Womp Rats. At first, I thought, man, he's just driving around shooting Womp Rats. What's going on? Well, then we get the the concept that he's shooting them because they bite into the vapor vaporator cables. And then there's also a bounty for them, probably because they are such a nuisance. This is not something that does... Let me rephrase. This is something that has historical precedence. Uh, I recently listened to a podcast. I can't remember if it was from How Stuff Works or from Stuff to Blow Your Mind, but it's from the whole, the whole uh, Stuff You Should Know uh, podcast network, which, by the way, is really the only professional podcast that I listen to. Um, and by professional, I mean that's like their day job where they create content for their website and then they record podcasts. There are people who do podcasting professionally because they're getting paid to do so. But um, this is, you know, kind of one of those different levels of, of professional, I guess. Anyway, they did a whole episode about bounties for things like this. 
And it was very interesting, uh, the rats and the cobras particularly, but you had uh, cities with rats problems. And so what they would do is they would put a bounty on the rats and then they realized, oh, that's so heavy for them to have to like travel through the sewers with these rat bodies. So they would then say, well, just bring in the tails. But then they realized that the bounty hunters who were, they were just cutting off the tails of the rats and then letting them go. And that way the population was allowed to still grow, which is the exact opposite of what the bounty hunters were supposed to be doing and the exact opposite of what the people of the city wanted to happen. The rats weren't being taken care of. The rats were just having just losing their tails. So they're paying the bounty hunter for killing a rat that's still out there uh, mating and creating smaller rats that have tails so that they can do the cycle all over again. Uh, something similar happened. I don't know if this is a real story. I think that if I remember correctly, they thought this might be have been one of those kind of legend things that didn't actually happen. But it sounds like it could have happened. A uh, city in India that had problems with cobras. And so they were like, you know, bring us, you know, we'll pay you every for every cobra you bring in. But what people started doing was raising cobras. <laughs> and so um, they're bringing in cobras that they had raised and had, you know, in you know baskets or, or cages or something they bring the cobras in they get paid for them those cobras are dead but they have more cobras back home that are mating and so then when they stopped paying out the cobras were just released into the wild and so now you had another just like explosion of population of cobras so anyway that's what this reminded me of another note um when we have the uh uncles just don't understand scene where luke is arguing with uncle owen uh, it's Amperu who comes to Luke's rescue and is like, you got to let him go. You let a brother leave without saying goodbye. And so we have a little bit of talk about Luke's father. And this is one of those things where um, you kind of, you know, always expected that Darth Vader was Owen's brother or Baru's brother. And, and it didn't work out quite that quite that way. Luke's dream. Luke's dream when he is daydreaming about going out there and being a hero. It's a cool page. It's a single splash page. Um, I shouldn't say a splash page. It's a single page, though, of all of these these things that he's doing. He's flying a, a starship that's not an X-Wing, but looks like it could, you know, it's something similar. Um, he's running into battle with a gun. He takes out the bad guy with his fists, and then he gets to kiss the girl. And... What's fun about that is that later on, then you have a kind of mirror image, not physically, but emotionally of the reality that he lived through. And, you know, the reality he lived through is actually pretty close. You know, he's flying against the space station. He's, you know, he was running around the space station. He was fighting bad guys and he helped save the girl. And But just those two pages, I thought that's really interesting. You have the one page with all the images of his daydream and the other page with all the images of reality and the way that they are staged is, is very, very similar. And it, it's, it's a cool little element, a cool element. Um, then you have the race and, you know, this is kind of cool because Luke and his friends were, um, you know, if they weren't stand-ins for George Lucas's teenage years, they were definitely reflections of George Lucas's teenage years. As you, and actually very close to what you saw in, uh, in American graffiti uh, with the, the racing, uh, the hot rod racing culture that they had there. And, 
that's what was going on here is very, very similar. And the, the party that they're having, they just all park their sky hoppers and they're just like hanging out around there in the desert. Felt It felt very American graffiti. Now the Tuscan Raiders, there's one interesting element that's going on here. Um, I'm not a big fan of the Tuscan Raiders. I mean, they just do what they do. And I had a friend who called them the rednecks of Star Wars, which is kind of true if you think about it, where they're just in, you know, Phantom Menace. They're just taking pot shots at the racers as they're driving by. And, you know, they're just attacking people who come into their territory and that sort of thing. But um, the the way that they describe why the Tusken Raiders are so angry, it's because someone accidentally poisoned one of their sacred wells. And that's a that's a nice little detail and and that's one of those little details that when you're a science fiction writer it's nice to just throw these things in there that could be something so much bigger you could really explore it if you wanted to but we don't need to it just makes sense you know it, it makes sense that people who live off the land in Tatooine would hold something like a well as something that is sacred and it reminded me of dune where you know, someone who cries. I mean, water is so precious that when you cry because someone has died or something, you're giving them your your water. And, you know, it's going to get recycled, but you're, you're losing a little bit of water and you're actually losing a little bit of life to cry for someone on Arrakis in, in Dune. And so for these guys to hold wells as something that is very sacred to them, that totally makes sense. And it's one of those little details that I find just it's a fun bit of writing there. Now, here's the other thing that's going on, though, is, is this whole story is prequel storytelling. Now, it's not part of the prequel trilogy, obviously. It's prequel storytelling in that it is all about someone before the movie. And the whole thing that is happening here is this all just pointing at what's coming, what's coming, what's coming, what's coming. And that's the one thing that I, I just feel, and it's very difficult to get past it because that's the purpose of doing a story. The purpose of doing a flashback story is to give you insight into the person's past. What makes it cheesy or what makes it a uh, cliche for me is when you're getting this insight into someone's past, but it's, more about making statements about the future and that's what's happening here you know because now you transition from him you know he daydreams he has this actual adventure and and wins and saves his friend and then you get this panel where he just can't help thinking that this is preparing him for something this was a test and he passed it and now he's ready for something's going to happen in his future that's kind of silly to me the other thing is on the page where you get to see his adventure from the movie and they're going through all the events about the Death Star and stuff, Darth Vader is hard to draw even for Herb Trimpey. It's just the way it is. Another funny thing that I thought about was that he is daydreaming. And as he's daydreaming, he's daydreaming about daydreaming. <laughs> he's, he's a dreamer. He's a dreamer. Then we get to the end and it says, next issue, The Hand of the Empire. So overall, this is a fine issue. There's nothing new. Um, we get Luke reaching out to the force before he knew what it was. We get his friend Biggs. We get to see that they have this friendship thing going on. Uh, you get to see the racing culture of Tatooine. You get to see Luke daydreaming. There's nothing wrong with it. It's a good story. I enjoyed myself while reading it. It's just, it bothers me when I see something that's so obviously. Okay. 
well, let me stop for myself for a minute. You can't help when you're telling a story that happens before a movie or before and if you're telling a story that happens before another story, but you're telling that prequel story after the original story has been produced. You can't help but you know want to be clever and drop hints. I just feel like in this situation, Chris Claremont with the plot and then um uh, and then Archie Goodwin with the writing, I, I just feel like they're just trying to be too clever. You know, he feels like he passed a test and now he's ready for something in his future. Turn the page. Yep. The movie you just saw. So there's certainly nothing wrong with it. Like I said, though, it's, it's a good solid fill in story. And next issue, we're going to get back on track. And also hopefully next issue, my throat is going to be feeling a lot better. So the big question is going to be, uh, do I talk about Human Fly next or do I talk about Godzilla next? And I think I'm going to go with Godzilla. So next segment is going to be Godzilla issue number 16. So until then, I do want to thank you for listening. Thank you for spending time with me. And, you know, until next time, may the force be with you and Godspeed. Thanks for listening to the Comic Book Time Machine's Marvel's Cosmic Comics feed. You can find more discussion of many, many more comics like Superman and Spider-Man, What Ifs and Elseworlds, The Six Million Dollar Man and Batman, comics seven days old and seven decades old, on our main feed, which you can find on iTunes or at comicbooktimemachine.com. We'd also love it if you join us on Facebook at facebook.com or on Twitter, where we are at Comic Time. episode godzilla issue number 17 jaws of the fear mission for you. I need you to listen to G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. It's a monthly podcast where Aaron Moss, Codename Head, and two other Joes, Ryan Daly and Kyle Benning, will be reporting on the comic book G.I. Joe, a real American hero. Previously published by Marvel, currently being published by IDW Comics. We'll also cover the special missions, the yearbooks, order battles, etc. To hear their message, report to G.I. Joe Speaks dot com or iTunes or Stitcher Radio. You can get further information at Facebook, Google Plus, and Twitter. All under G.I. Joe, a real American headcast. Dismissed. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe, a real American headcast, is a proud member of the headcast family. <laughs>